It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of this is jennifer stone with stone's throw and today I have a very special guest in the studio with me here. And there goes her light on. Yes, thank goodness. <laughs> her name is Judy Wells. And I decided that it being Halloween and a pagan time of year, I needed another Irish woman to keep me company. It is, yes, it is fall, the autumn, the dark season. We have to go down. Yes, uh, Judy, what is the name of that um Ah, the one that gives you the black moods. Um, it's an Irish... Black moods. Black mm. moods, something. Know. Yeah, my father used to tell me about it. Uh, there's a book here. Judy's book is called Everything Irish. And the other book is a book of poems called Call Home. And I just want to read you a little tiny bit. On the back here, it says, Everything Irish is a hoot. This family memoir in verse, yes. It's a poetic documentary of an Irish Catholic girlhood. And a riot of laughs and all that sort of thing. I had one of those Irish, uh, Anglo-Irish Protestant girlhoods. Very confusing. Uh, and I wanted to ask you precisely, yes, what are pagan babies? At this time of year, I always wonder. I go over to the Castro and oh, look at... <laughs> yes, well, pagan babies. When I went to Catholic school, St. Catherine's School, we uh, the, the nuns collected money in little brown envelopes <gasps> so we could buy pagan babies. And I think they were most... We thought they were in China, perhaps Africa, but I think we really were fixated on China. And after we got about $5 together, we could name them. And they were all had Irish names. They were all named like Patrick or Maureen or something like that, I think. Um, and an ex-nun told me that this was sort of a scam to uh, that, that, uh -huh. that there weren't really pagan babies. Now, I don't know if that's true. People have gotten very mad at me for saying yeah. that. It's fascinating. Did you see that? horrendous movie about the Magdalene sisters. No, but I've heard about oh, Audrey's and all I that. was watching it on television the other night, and the cruelest thing was that it, it isn't that... Uh, it was about these young women, fallen, so-called fallen women. All they did was, you know, flirt with someone, and they found themselves in these homes, and they did nothing but uh, scrub the laundry for years and years. And, uh, you know, it was like... Um, slave orphanage of some kind right. but I've they said that, that you know it wasn't it wasn't until they stopped making money that they they closed them you know it wasn't because they were torturing these young women and ruining their lives it was because uh, it was no longer profitable for the church you know yes it was an incredible study in sadism i i got to thinking later you know the, 
the romantic feelings that I have about Ireland are probably, <laughs> probably <laughs> romantic because I never lived there and I never really experienced, you know. Well, I went to Ireland three times. The first time I had a great romance with, with Ireland. You can't help but just sort of fall in love with it if your ancestors are there. The second time I had a kind of a more realistic experience and said, well, this is very nice and I learned lots of things. The third time it rained so badly I was so drenched mm-hmm. that I came home a little bit disillusioned. But Ireland right now is not the old romantic Ireland that um, no. Irish Americans think of. They're the Celtic tiger, and they're mm-hmm. um, economically doing very well. But I would like to read one poem from Everything Irish that recalls um, what a lot of our ancestors um, when they came over during what we used to call the potato famine. Um, it's actually called The Great Hunger of 1845 to 49. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read this in honor of Celtic New Year, which is Halloween. Salmane, Salwane, yes. how do we pronounce that? Well, I've heard sound, mm-hmm. and it's spelled S-A-H-A-I-N, I mm-hmm. think, but you have all different... It's that Celtic, it's the Celtic New Year. The Celtic New Year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like our New Year when the sort of veil between the living and the dead is breached. Yes, and, and we, we take a peek and yes, see. we mm-hmm. take a peek at the beyond. Yes, all our dead dears who have gone before us. Exactly. So this is called The Ancestors' Dance, and it's for the dead of the Great Hunger of 1845 to 49 in Ireland, and for two bands, uh, Kila and Dead Can Dance. The shaman plays the bowron and the ancestors dance. Yes, the dead can dance. The shaman plays the bowron and the ancestors sing. Yes, the dead can sing. The shaman plays the bowron and the famine dead rise from their graves and sing away their grief and they eat. Yes, they eat their fill of meat and they eat their fill of cheese and they eat their fill of plump brown potatoes. Yes, the dead can eat while the shaman plays the bowron. Then they dance. Then they dance away their grief, and all the dead children from the coffin ships rise from the Atlantic with seaweed in their hair and form a chain with their hands across the sea. And they dance. Yes, the dead can dance, and they sing. Yes, the dead can sing away your grief, and they can play. And they can play percussion on a goatskin drum with their bones till the whole world's dancing with the dead. Yes, the dead can dance, and they sing. And what they sing is, yes, you will join us. One day you will join us, and you'll sing, and you'll dance to the bowron of the stars, to the bowron of the spheres, to the bowron of the planets, and the moon, and the sun. Yes, you'll dance to the bowron of the moon, for the dead can dance. That's amazing. I remember... My father telling me something about step dancing, I'm sure he made it up. He said, of course, we're pounding, pounding the earth to keep the bones down there, to keep them from coming back for us. Wow. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. My dad are coming up. (laughs) I don't know. It's very interesting. I I always think, yes, of forgetfulness, death. Uh, Fascinating stuff, isn't it? I... I wonder, I, I have not yet been to Ireland, and I really got to go. It's the one thing on my, my agenda, my list. I've got to get over there. I, 
I've made it into an entirely mythological uh, set. I was thinking when I read your bit here about the pagan babies, my mother said, oh, they were just natural children. She said that the fertility rate was so low in Ireland that whole clans married each other in order to um, try to get more children. Uh, I don't know, the ancient Ireland... I guess we can make it up to suit ourselves. Well, you can have tours in Ireland that will give you the romantic Ireland tour. And that's kind of what we got. at the. Be- and I took a tour the first time I went. But while you're driving down these little lanes this very ro- with all the stones and everything, somewhere over beyond the trees is a nice big kind of freeway. So um, you can be taken into the romantic Ireland. And um, it's wonderful. But... Then there's the New Ireland, and <laughs> there are whole generations there who haven't experienced poverty and famine. So they're happy. A brave new world. A brave here. new world. Yes. Exactly. Your book of poems um, is called Call Home, and according to Bridget Connolly uh, in the Irish Times, you are a comic genius. Yes, and. This story, it says, 92-year-old Irene announces to her children that she is dying. So the wake begins with the waggish matriarch in full attendance. And you have 32 poetic vignettes. This is the story of an Irish-American mother who has endowed her clan with a sense of drama and high humor, preparing them to negotiate the pitfalls of property inheritance. Yes. What it means to be a family after the funeral. Well, now, that's an interesting question. I don't know. Funerals are not my thing. I tend to go. (laughs) I go off the deep end. I usually have to be removed. Uh, There's a lot more criticism here on the back of the book, basically saying that uh, this is a bittersweet book, Many people saying that uh, it made them cry, that it's about mortality and vulnerability. The sort of things that we ponder in the autumn, uh, says if this sounds like a downer, it isn't. <laughs> yes, the rock of your childhood. I don't know, my favorite people all my life have been lapsed Catholics. I wonder why that <laughs> is. What is it, you know, is it because, you know, you come out of that suffering and... and well, kind of I... I there's something about once a Catholic, always a Catholic. Mm-hmm. So Catholicism is not just a religion, it's a culture. So there, I think that you, you can relate to people on that, on that level of this, especially if you went to Catholic school. There's a whole culture around going to Catholic school and the uniforms and saying prayers all the time and Hail Mary and going to confession. And there's, there's humor around the culture too. I happen to, I've spent a lot of years working at, at St. Mary's College and mm-hmm. sort of renewed my familiarity with with um, Catholic culture. And it seems so homey, speaking of the title of my mm-hmm. book, Call Home. Although it's home a, to Mother, yes, yes, always the ancient... I think you're right, Jennifer. <laughs> the ancient religion is always home to Mother the further back you go. I was thinking, I was reading one of the nuns the other day, the, the sort of ex-nun who always says how they miss the... Uh, Music, not the mass, ah. but the music, the ritual, that that is that. the home, the place um, where, I, I don't like the word romantic, there has to be a romantic, romanticism kills as far as I can figure out, but there's a better word, let's just call it um, the place where love is. 
the the home, uh, the heart's home, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, someone said to me once, they said, you know, Ireland is at least seven levels deep. And she said, I've gotten down to about the fourth. So I'm going to stay until I, I get a little further along, a little deeper. Let's get into this book called Home, your poems. Uh, there's so many of them. I want to tell everybody that you have some readings coming up. And I'm going to do it right now because I'm always leaving this till last and forgetting. So I want to give you this list and then we'll tell people again at the end of our half hour here so they don't miss. This is Judy Wells and the poetry readings. These are all poetry readings, Judy? Yes, yes. Yes, these are poems called Call Home. Do you, do you remember Emily Dickinson? They say that the last thing she wrote or said, who knows, I guess it was a letter, but in last words, she said, um, the last thing she said was, called back. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, Saturday, November the 5th, that's this Saturday, 2 to 4, in Oakland, those people who live in Oakland, Lakeview Library. That's in the Grand Lake area. You know where the Grand Lake movie is. 550L Embarcadero. Uh, Judy Wells and Dale Jensen and an open reading. Poets who like to read from 2 to 4, folks. 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock, Saturday, November the 5th. Okay, Monday, November 28th, the end of the month after Thanksgiving. 7.30. Bird and Beckett in San Francisco. 2788 Diamond Street. That's in San Francisco's Glen Park neighborhood. And got a lot of folks. Yes. Uh, and C-O-R-A-Y, Corey? And Corey. Corey and Naomi Lewinsky and Judy. Now, I think the thing to do, I'm trying to think, uh, what is the best general phone number to give for this, dear, if people want more information about these things? Uh, call the Bird and Beckett in San Francisco and call the Lakeview Library in Oakland. That would be good, yes. That's a good thing, yes. Uh, the books are available at Cody's on 4th Street. That's down at the bottom of town near Spangers, Cody's on 4th Street, and Amazon.com. The publisher is Scarlet Tanninger Books. That's Scarlet Tanninger, T-A-N-A-G-E-R books. And you can get that on the web, folks, scarlettanninger.com. Anyway, let us jump in. No, we will give that at the end of the hour at uh, 3.25. Otherwise, we'll forget. Now, I especially want you to read My Mother's Bed, but you start oh, wherever okay. you like. <laughs> well, I definitely want to read My Mother's yeah. Bed. I'd like to read the um, the title poem in the book okay. um, that's called Are You Judy Wells? Man calls at 7.30 a.m. Are you Judy Wells? One of them, I say cautiously. <laughs> he says he's calling from Nashville, Tennessee. Are you Helen Wells' daughter? No, I'm not, I say, not adding I'm daughter of Irene, in case he's some kind of loony. You're Mm. calling Berkeley, I say. I know, he says, she's supposed to be in Berkeley. He apologizes profusely for disturbing me. Two hours later, woman calls with southern accent. 
I just had to hear your voice," she says. It would be just like Judy to deny it was her. <laughs> her mother died. I try to be helpful and run through my repertoire of Judy Wells's. Is she African American? Did she go to theology school? Is she the editor of Shaman's Drum? Was she in the peace movement? Did she have a brother John? No, 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 and no, and we don't have a brother John. She left home three years ago and didn't want to have anything to do with the family. Somehow, my curiosity is piqued. What does she look like? I ask. Well, she's heavy. She's got stringy hair. Doesn't do much with it. Hmm. I think they don't think too favorably of this black sheep. How old is she? Forty-eight. Hmm. I'm back to the theology school gal. I always got phone calls for. So she wasn't studying to be a minister. I don't think so. But who knows? I just had to hear your voice to make sure you weren't her. Maybe I'll get someone with a computer and try finding her on the internet. <laughs> yes, try the internet. I say, Judy Wells, whoever you are, your mother Helen has died, and your relatives are trying to find you. Stay lost if you if you dare. They say you've got stringy hair and probably didn't treat you all that well. You headed for Berkeley, and I hope you found yourself here. I could recommend you a good hairdresser and send you back to school to mend your midlife crisis, but Judy, daughter of Helen, your family is seeking you, black sheep, prodigal daughter. Maybe it's money they want to give you, or a swift kick in the pants if you left in a huff, alcoholic, kids abandoned, or maybe you were gay or simply thirsty for some West Coast freedom after living out too many country westerns in in Nashville. But Judy, call home, call home, close this chapter of your life and bury your mom. Make amends with your sister before your past comes stalking to haunt you in Berkeley. Call home, Judy Wells. Call home. <laughs> so that's that's the title of、um, title poem of my book, and I've、mm. I've never heard from the other Judy Wellses. So this is fascinating. Yes, I'm not sure、it? what's going on there. I don't know. Said Samuel Beckett says an Irishman's. Brain is only his imagination. I think our imaginations are all we've got.、Uh, hearing this read by a very pale, red-headed, <laughs> slim wraith of an Irish woman, yes, who could be anyone. Yes, I remember、um, oh, several times people calling me at the radio station, mistaking me for someone I'm distinctly not, but. <laughs> Well, there, are, there are a lot of stones in the world. Yeah, ghosts.、Too. Yes, we are all. We have so many ghosts, so many other selves. Incidentally, the Wells part comes from my father's side of the family. Ah, yes, I'm only half Irish, the worst half. Well,、uh, I'm only a quarter, but there, there were、mm. four children in our family, so、mm-hmm. I figured the four of us together made up one good solid Irish person. Yeah, of so, course.、Um, and、yes. if your mother's Irish,、um, that does it. That clinches it because.、Yes. 
she passes on the culture. Oh, of course, the mother is the essential. Give me your mother's bed, if you will. All right, my mother's bed. I was lying on my mother's bed in her board and care. It's an intimate proposition. She spends most of her time there at age 92. We were talking about this and that when suddenly she began to laugh and laugh. I was thinking how you said, Mither, I want me mush when you were little, she said. And she laughed and laughed. Of course, the Zoloft was working grand miracles on her humor, but as always, I probed further. How did I get that phrase? I asked. And she waved her hand above her head, as she always did, indicating I was a miniature bridey Murphy with an Irish brogue from my ancient past or from the stars. But I persisted. What did you call your Irish mother? Mama. Always mama, she said. And we never had mush. We had toast. Mm Mm-hmm. Somehow, I always think I'm going to catch her, and she'll let out how her Irish grandmother said mither or me mush, but she never does. It's always a wave of the hand, and now that laughter. For my own part, I now say, mither, I want me mush, was my first line of poetry. It alliterates so well, and it's got a fine rhythm. Okay, so I was Bridie McRory in another life. Write it in my bio. That's fine with me. <laughs> I was thinking of my father's funeral, all those mithers. <laughs> rose and rose, Mother McCree. Did they actually say mither back then? Oh, oh yes, yes. My, my, my father always said, I think he meant it half-jokingly. He, you know, he was one of these... Um, Oh, faith and be Jesus and, and um, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And I, I think it was an affectation. Uh, he spent most of his uh, uh, conscious moments uh, teasing the local priest. He was a doctor, and uh, he found the Catholic Church to be some kind of hilarious joke. But, of course, he, he needed to resist it with all his might because it was haunting him, you know. It's it's hmm. a curious the way we react to these things. Uh, well, someone told me that, um, well, my mother didn't talk like that at all. She was San Francisco Irish, and she actually, her father was um, an Anglo-Canadian, and, you know, she swears she didn't talk this way. Someone mm-hmm. suggested that maybe I was hearing radio shows where they talked that yes. way. Well, it, yeah, but it, I was pretty young when this was happening, so I'm not sure... If I was picking up accents from of the radio. Course. No, I, I, being an actor, I always had too much affectation. I was watching the movie Juno and the Peacock the other night, uh, Barry Fitzgerald and some of the others, and uh, I remember playing Mary, the daughter in that, um, in college. And uh, there were several older actors who really were pretty good with the accents, but uh, Americans, I think, we flounder around uh we try, and sometimes we get it right, and sometimes not. Uh, I guess the thing to do would be to to travel and try to get to where the people still speak Gaelic uh, and get an ear for it. My favorite is, uh, what's his name, Cyril Cusack. I, I used to watch him in Irish movies where he spoke in Gaelic. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's dead now. Some of his children are still in the films, but... Uh, one movie, what was it called? Criminal Conversation. It's an Irish term for adultery. 
criminal conversation. There were, um, oh golly, it's been 20 years, but we used to get Irish films here at the Pacific Film Archive. I mean, Irish, Irish uh-huh, films in Gaelic. Uh-huh. But, uh, I don't know why that stuff has become so arcane and esoteric. It's well, uh, Gaelic would sound very different from Mither I Want Me Mushes. <laughs> yes, it's more yes. like, yeah, yeah. that means uh, uh, good morning, I think. Jesus, 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 um, so it, it has a more kind of guttural sound to mm-hmm. it. So I think this is more the kind of they uh, say stage that, Irish. Yeah, they um, say that Elizabethan, that Shakespearean plays would sound much more Irish to us if we could hear them as they were done ah, yes. in the 16th well, century, you know. The thing about Shakespeare had an Irish mother, but that's give another us, story. Give us another poem. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I'd like to say a little bit about the organization of the book. It, I've set it up so it kind of reads like a novella. And um, the first part is about my mother and her last days and, and talking with her when we had a very good relationship during her last couple of years, which I was very happy for. Um, the middle section of the book is a long poem about my childhood home in Martinez. Uh, and my mother lived there for 60 years. And then uh, the final section of the book is about dismantling that childhood home with my siblings, Melinda, my my older sister, Nancy, my sister is one year older than I am, and my brother, um, Mel, or Buddy, as we called him as a child. And believe me, dismantling a house with your siblings where, where, that has <laughs> all of your history in it, too, you kind of regress into um, your various roles. And mm-hmm. I was number three. Mm-hmm. Number three makes a good poet. Number one is the boss and the organizer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Number two um, was um, she likes to be nice and helpful, and but she was a rebel as a child. And my brother, like, well... The Irish boy is is le petit prince, the prince. Well, that's not Irish, yeah. that's French. We are what we leave behind. But I wanted to read this poem called Miss Havisham Does Not Live Here. Oh, wonderful. And um, this is about um, trying to dismantle this house with my siblings and my mother's pack rat tendencies. Today, at 899 Willow, my brother, while cleaning out the kitchen closet amidst old cans of Campbell's soup, saran wrap, and childhood valentines, came across the top of an ancient wedding cake in a box. It's mom and dad's, he yelled. But Mimi thought it looked familiar. Compared the fluffy white-skirted little bride and the groom in tux to a photo she had of her wedding, it was her cake top all right, 40 years old, and Mom had saved it. My brother wanted to cut into Mimi's cake. It's still moist, said Mel. Then he found Nancy's wedding cake top in another box, all roses and pillars with a little vase on top for flowers. Nancy was modern, hadn't wanted a bride and groom. This cake was only 35 years old. Then my brother found the pièce de résistance, mom and dad's wedding cake, 64 years old. It's petrified, I yelled, poking it and noting the elegant 30 slim dress on the bride, the slender groom in tux. Big sugar roses surrounded them, and beneath this top plate was a circle of dark fruit cake on another plate. Still good, said Nancy. 
Dale took a photo of the four of us, Mimi, Nancy, Judy, and Mail, and Mel, holding all the cakes, representing something like 140 years of marriage. Only I have escaped this fate, though I thought later, after the camera's flash, I'd like that elegant 30s bride and groom on my and Dale's wedding cake one day. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. They were old, all right. They'd be borrowed. As for new and blue, we'd have to get something else, unless the mold begins to grow on that dark fruit cake. Then we'd have everything. <laughs> Even blue mold is a map of <laughs> dreams, dreams of the past. Her name is Judy Wills. She'll be at Lakeview Library in Oakland on Saturday, November the fifth, from two to four. That's an open reading, folks. If you want to go, and her books are available Amazon.com. It's Judy Wells. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at eight twenty. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Join us this Friday at 7 p.m. for a full circle show that is all about Arnold and politics and comedy. We'll be offering a serious overview of all propositions so that you can be informed and vote your mind. You can't imagine how much money they spent trying to silence good people who have put their lives on the line to fight for change. We'll also be taking a humorous look at Mr. Schwarzenegger and visit a stand-up comedian who calls himself a demo publican. Finally, we'll meet a woman who has been sitting outside.